All right. Uh, well, let's bring on John Shannon. He's the co-host of the Bob McCallum podcast. Also, uh, prior to that, a longtime producer at Hockey Night Canada. You also very familiar with his work on uh, Sportsnet Radio for a number of years as well. Uh, bringing John on now. Hey, John, how you doing? Good guys. How are you? We're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, it's it's uh, an interesting day for the NHL, a fun day, I think, for the NHL, uh, the Lake Tahoe game, though. Uh, just seeing you putting out there that they are having some ice issues at Tahoe, going to be a bit of a longer intermission. Uh, is this something that uh, I assume that they had planned for to, to a certain degree, but what, what exactly is, is going on with the ice in Nevada? I think it's just too soft, guys. I mean, the, the bright sunshine... Uh of Northern Nevada is, uh, is hard on the, uh, is hard on what, what's going on. And I think they're having some issues. So there, there, the, there, there's been at least, I'm not sure whether you've seen it on television, but there's been at least 10 guys fall, uh, on the, on the ice near center ice where the logos are. And, uh, and that's a major issue. This is, this is a safety issue for the players. Is this something, John, that you think the NHL sort of had in their realm of possibilities? I know it's, you know, with outdoor games, there's always a, a factor of conditions. Um, they've done them at night. They've done them during the day. Um, but they, you know, by, by looking at TV, they got a really nice sunny day there in Tahoe. But um, that glare of the sun can, can also add a lot of warmth. Well, I, I, you know, Dan Craig, who's the, the, the ice guru for the NHL, is always prepared for these things. But... When you take the game outdoors, you lose uh, the controlled environment, and it's it's the risk you take. I mean, remember Alex when you were at Sportsnet and I was there. We did a game in uh, we were in Pittsburgh, uh, and uh, Pittsburgh, Washington was supposed to be played in the afternoon, and they moved it tonight um, yeah. because of the sun. And actually, it was it was in the it was in January, and it was close to 60 degrees Fahrenheit in Pittsburgh, so it was a real problem. So from that perspective, they're, they're always prepared. Uh, I, I actually find all of this discussion today about how great Tahoe looks and this and that uh, quite humorous. Uh, because the only reason the game is in Tahoe is because there are no fans. Uh, if, if they were fans, we'd be in a football stadium or a baseball stadium. We wouldn't be outdoors with no fans. So from that perspective, uh, this is trying to make the best of a bad pandemic situation. Uh, and I think the people there have to, there, I know, I know that the, I haven't spoken directly to league people, but you know, they're darn concerned about it. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, John, about the outdoor game. Cause you know, we're now, I mean, the first one in Buffalo was 2008 and you touched on no, the, the first the one. In, the first one, the first one was in Edmonton oh, in 2003. The heritage. You're right. My yes, apologies. Sort of the, the under the new installment, I guess, or where it started the sort of quote unquote the series, I guess. Um, yeah. But but as they've gone on here um, this year, I thought it was interesting because there was so much talk about the financials, and usually these games there's there's quite a financial outlay, but in return you're also filling you know a larger audience um, within the arena or the stadium that they're at. Um, this was always sort of a one-off. This was sort of an opportunity for NBC to sort of flex a little bit of broadcasting sort of technology. You know, what was the impetus for the NHL to do this this year? Uh, well, I think it was to create eyeballs, uh, particularly for non-traditional hockey fans, something that is different. Um, and what made the Tahoe uh, scenario easier, Alex, was um, you, you know, normally 
what has to happen, and this is a Colorado home game, normally you'd have to buy the home date. The league would have to buy the home date from the home team. So let's say, for instance, the average home date uh, at Ball Arena in, in Denver, used to be Pepsi Center, uh, was $1.25 million. So the Avalanche have to be compensated $1.25 million in a regular season. Well, there's nobody in the arena right now in Colorado, so there's, there's no gate to be compensated. So that's why this was easy to do this year in, in this environment. Like, you know, the, the great talk uh, years ago of Lake, or even last year of Lake Louise. Mm-hmm. Um, it, those, those don't work if you can't put people around the arena. Uh, no sponsor is going to, you know, put up $1 million, $2 million for a single game and have no fans there. It's just not, it's just not feasible. When I was at the league, in I was going to say 2009, we looked at various, various opportunities. One of them was to do it in Central Park in New York. Uh, but like, we with, also with looked at. We, we looked at doing it in Central Park, but we were going to have to construct a 50,000 seat arena in Central Park. And it was cost prohibitive. It was cost prohibitive to do that in Central Park. So that's why it just doesn't work. It, 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 it you know, this is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm giggling at all the social media saying, oh, this is great. This is the future of outdoor games. This is not the future of outdoor games. The future of outdoor games, if they are outdoor games, are back in football stadiums and, and baseball stadiums. They're, 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 not, they're not in Lake Louise. They're not in Banff. They're not in Jasper. They're not in Lake Tahoe. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a, a huge business and financial reason for, for the success of the Winter Classics, the Heritage Classics. Alex and I did talk about that a little bit earlier in the show, that it is, uh, it's become a big staple for this league. And uh, it's not the only big story on the weekend. Uh, a guy that's played in outdoor games, uh, been the face of the NHL for uh, almost as long as he's been uh, in the league, going back to, to 2005, is Sidney Crosby. He's he's about to, to pass uh, the 1,000-game threshold, which is, as you know, John, a, a hugely monumental one for NHL players, something that uh, gets a lot of respect around the league. The players cherish themselves. Uh, Crosby's got pretty much everything on the resume already, but uh, in reflecting on his career at, at this point, uh, how you know what what what's the first thing that comes to mind for you when you, when you think about Sidney Crosby's as he's about to reach the thousand game milestone? I think Sidney Crosby is the most complete hockey player I've ever seen. Uh, and when I say complete hockey player, uh, I I would have no objection putting him out in a defensive zone faceoff. I obviously would have no objection to having him in the offensive zone. Uh, I would have no objection him being the face of my franchise. I think he's the most complete player that I've seen. And I and listen, uh, I, I was around Wayne for years, Mario uh, to a lesser extent. Um, I'm trying to think of the, I mean, Gila Fleur. Um, but none of those guys played the 200 foot game the way Sydney played. Uh, I think Sydney has been shunted from winning the Selkie trophy. And I think he should be a candidate. I think he's that good. I think he's taught himself to be that good. Uh, for, for me, um, Sydney would tell you that he used Wayne as a role model. 
and I, I think now there's a, there are two generations of players that will use Sidney Crosby uh, as a role model, both on and off the ice. John, to Izzy's point, I mean, he, he really has carried the, mount, the mantle for the NHL for the last 15 years. Um, in my humble opinion, he's done an exceptional job of it. I know he's received, you know, I, I don't want to say criticism, but there's been people that have wanted him to be more outgoing and things like that. But, you know, to be in that position that he's been in, I think he's done a really remarkable job of, of sort of carrying himself and being true to who he is. Um, when you look at all the players you've seen, I'm just sort of wondering how you compare him with, we saw McDavid this week hit 500 as well uh, and did it in the same number of games that Sid did. I'm just wondering, um, you know, is is Connor the heir apparent to Sid or is their overlap been too close, kind of like a a Lemieux and a Gretzky? Uh, I I mean, I I think Connor's body of work is just too darn small to to gauge that yet, Alex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I, again, I, I see Connor an awful lot. Uh, I, uh, but, but I think that if you sat down with Connor and said, okay, Connor, let, let's take a look at, uh, at your file. Um, and, and let's try to match everything that Sid did. I, I think that there, and I, I don't want to use the word shortcomings cause it's not fair, but there are deficiencies that Connor has right now that Sid um, has always been able to compensate for. And I, I think that comes with age. You know, I mean, there is, there is an age difference, let's face it. Um, and I think that it comes with the way the game has pl- been played over the years. Let's remember, um, Connor has never played uh, in, in an era where clutching and grabbing was possible, not even in junior hockey. Mm-hmm. Sid in uh, Ramuski played under that. When Sid joined the league uh, after the the lockout, uh, we were just getting into that world of of no clutching and grabbing. Um, in, you know the the and the amazing thing the, and the, the re- reason I'm kind of hedging on it is because they're such different body types as well. When mm-hmm. you think of of the long muscular body type that is McDavid. Uh, who it really is a, he's a freak of nature. Um, and C- Crosby's the, the short squat, typical hockey player uh, that, uh, you know, that has, you know, and everybody says that has the great edges. Well, McDavid, McDavid's a better skater than Sid is. Uh, he's faster. He's quicker on his edges. He does so much more, but you know, Sid's intuitiveness and Connor's intuitiveness are comparable, but there are other things that, I think Sid does better, and I think there's a few things that Connor does better. So, it, so it, that's a tough comparison, uh, particularly when they're both playing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that you guys had Brian Burke on the on the podcast, and before we move on from from Crosby here, I was curious. Um, Darren Drager sort of suggesting that maybe Sidney's legacy in Pittsburgh would be to move on before the end of his career and and help stock the the cupboards, if you will. Um, Coming from Darren, who has close ties with CAA, I, I found that intriguing. I'm just wondering what you made of that. And do you think, you know, what, what do you think the future holds as we look at Pittsburgh at a really interesting time here and Sidney with four and a half years left on his current contract? Uh, Sidney Crosby will never leave Pittsburgh. Sidney Crosby is Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will not say that about any other player on the roster. 
but uh, and if the penguins, if the penguins and Mario understands this more than anybody, if the penguins understand what the what what the team and what Crosby means to the city, uh, then they'll just put that to bed. Right. John Shannon joining us on air is Real Fair, Alex Blair. You can find John now as the co-host of the Bob McCallum podcast, as Alex mentioned, the recent interview with the uh, new president of hockey officer of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Brian Burke, is available on the feed. Uh, our show, John, is on in Vancouver and in Calgary. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about the sort of crisis in Vancouver, about where the team's direction and, and certainly their play on the ice. Uh, that tone and that talk has shifted to Calgary in the last week. Uh, Brad Tree living on the radio here locally in Calgary, uh, very passionate, uh, stepping up for his team, but also acknowledging that uh, it, the season, especially the last couple of weeks, has not gone uh, the way that, that they have planned, the way that they have intended. When you look at the Flames right now, what, what do you see with this group and, and what's wrong with, with uh, the way that Calgary's playing? That's a that's a really good question. I I I, I watched them play. But and by the way, uh, we're in the we're in this darn Canadian division, um, and and I think we're and I've said this on the radio. Uh, I think in every city in Western Canada, um, we're going to have a crisis a week in this division, and it's the team that loses two games in a row. Yeah, sure. uh, and and this is and, and any any guy in radio sales should be out there trying to sell the crisis of the week in the northern division, uh, because that's what's going to happen. We're going to you know we we've seen the crisis in Montreal in in the last ten days. Yes, we we saw the Vancouver crisis that Francesco Aquilini put to bed. Uh, right now, it's Calgary. It was Edmonton for a couple of days early on. The Maple Leafs actually, believe it or not, the Maple Leafs had a crisis for two games. You know, they've they've lost to Ottawa twice. They had, you know, they would lose a five-one lead to the to the Senators, and dare I say, the Senators have had more crisis weeks than any other, than any other team in the uh, in, in the division. Uh, this is the nature of of of, of playing a seventeen division for fifty-six games. Um, what Calgary's going through is something that. You know, it, in my opinion, is strictly on the players. Uh, the, you know, there has to be better play out of Matthew Kachuk. Uh, Johnny Goodrow, who I have I have been critical of in the past, has has done a uh, done a solid job. I think I, I see more out of him. But you know, when you play Edmonton uh, without Sean Monahan, you're going to have issues. There there are certain guys on that roster that haven't given all and haven't given exactly what they should. Um, and, and you can't rely and you, and the people in Vancouver know this very well. Um, you can't rely on Jacob Markstrom to bail you out all the time. You know, the, the one thing is, is you, you do wonder if Markstrom's already been overworked. Uh, the good news for Calgary in a, in, in, in some small sense is that you can't blame David Riddick for the loss last night. And it did give Markstrom some rest. But perhaps there, perhaps now, uh, Jeff Ward can find a little bit more opportunity to use David Riddick in key situations, uh, because Jacob Markstrom, when 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 Markstrom uh, plays tired, his mind tends to wander, he tends to wander, uh, and it does not reflect well on the hockey club. John, you touched on the. Uh... 
what we talked about last week, you and I, about Vancouver. Um, what did you make of Francesco? By, by the way, Alex, Alex, we had a conversation before your show last week. What did I tell you was going to happen? You told me exactly what happened, that there would be a vote yeah, exactly. of conference. Well, yeah. No, no, it, it, which is why I wanted to ask you about this in the sense that what does that decision tell you for Francesco to go out and sort of give a, a vote of confidence to both Jim and, and to Travis? Like, what did you learn from that that you didn't know? Well, in, in my opinion, he had no choice, um, uh, in, particularly in this year, particularly with, uh, with with Travis Green, in my opinion, who is one of the, I know he's in his 40s, but one of the brightest young coaches in the game. And if he didn't doesn't stay in Vancouver, he's going to get gobbled up and, and, and be an impact coach in the National Hockey League for years to come. Um, you, you know, I, I'm one of those guys and I'm not a hardcore Canucks observer, but I'm one of those guys that says Jim Benning has, uh, done a pretty good job of assembling some talent. Uh, but when you end up with a, a summer where the purse strings are closed because revenues are zero, uh, there's only certain things you can do. Uh, um, if, if I, if I could criticize Jim in any which one, which way I, I would suggest that he probably took a little too much time trying to acquire Oliver Ekman Larson. Uh, mm-hmm. And by doing that, uh, it affected the ability to sign Chris Tanev in a reasonable contract if they wanted to, um, to sign Tyler Toffoli to a reasonable contract if they wanted to, and even even to some extent keeping Jacob Markstrom. Um, but to me, that's all about timing. That's all about – and and, and – what we've seen in the pandemic is that if you're a free agent right now, if you're looking for money right now, timing sucks because it's the pandemic and the cash flows at every level and every sport just aren't what they were. Some news coming in off of the outdoor games, John. Uh, it sounds like I tomorrow think it's, I don't think game. they're going to play. I, I don't think they're going to play. It's, it's, it seems, yeah, you're, as you said off the top, it's a serious safety concern, and they're, they've, uh, they've moved tomorrow night's, or now tomorrow night's game. The Philadelphia-Boston matchup is now a uh, 7 Eastern start, so a, yeah. a 4 o'clock start in Nevada. Um, it is funny, as you said, a lot of people talking about how beautiful everything looked, and it did. It looked like a postcard, but when, uh, when there's issues with the ice, uh, that's, that's a significant problem to play a hockey game. Hey, Israel, well, let, me, let me tell you something. We started playing this game at the National Hockey League level indoors for a reason. <laughs> yes, yes, you are correct with that. Um, anyway, John, uh, really appreciate the insight and the time, and, and thanks for joining us today. Well, you know what? I must, I must say it's always a treat to be on in Calgary and Vancouver again.